Praise the Lord. We need to get into the Word. Amen? Oh, that was weak. We need to get into the Word. Amen? Okay, that's a little better. Well, we are in the book of Zephaniah, this most underappreciated, underused, under-recognized book. This is a summary of the first nine of these minor prophets, even though we still have Habakkuk to go, of the pre-exilic prophets, that is the prophets who prophesied before Judah would finally be carried away into Babylon. Nevertheless, this is still a summary. This is a summary of the message of all of the books of the nine that have preceded. This included in the nine minor prophets that are before the exile. Now, one of the the questions that we need to ask ourselves, because it's easy to get lost in these books, what is the main point here? So if we're, going to, if we're going to walk away from our look this morning at Zephaniah, we're looking at God's global sweep of judgment and joy, two J's, judgment and joy. What are we to come away with? What is the main point? So if someone were to ask you, what is Zephaniah about? What are we to say to that? If someone were to ask us what Matthew or Mark were about, we'd be able to at least give some kind of sketch of it's about the life of Christ and so on. This book is about judgment. Zephaniah is prophesying that judgment is going to be coming on Judah. So it's another message of judgment. He is predicting, he is prophesying that judgment is going to come, and surely it did come at the hands of Babylon in 586 B.C. He is prophesying that judgment is going to come on Judah. Just as judgment had fallen on the northern kingdom, Israel, so judgment will also fall on Judah. And then he goes out from there and he says that judgment is also going to fall on the surrounding nations that have harassed the kingdom of Israel and in particular the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. So he's saying judgment is going to fall on Judah and eventually judgment is going to fall on the surrounding nations around Judah. So that's the first thing he's saying. Judgment is going to fall. Judgment is going to fall on Judah. Judgment is going to fall on the surrounding nations. But then he has a message of hope. So this is the second part of what Zephaniah is about, and it is about future restoration and future joy. So he's saying judgment is going to come on Judah, but yet there is going to be a future restoration of Judah sometime in the future. And there is also going to be a future restoration of the nations around the world and that had surrounded Judah. Zephaniah is prophesying during the time of King Josiah. There had been a a wicked king that preceded him, Ammon, and his father, Manasseh, who had ruled a long time, the longest ruling king in Israel. 
and he was a wicked king. And so finally Josiah comes along, and Josiah is a godly king, and he wants to bring reforms to Judah. He wants to follow the way of the Lord. And it's during this time that Zephaniah is prophesying. So he is prophesying during the reign of King Josiah, probably sometime around 640, even a little bit later, 639, 638. And it was perhaps his words that would lead to a mini-revival in the kingdom of Judah. So perhaps Josiah had Zephaniah in his ear, saying, we need to get back to the Lord. We have fallen away from God. We need reform in this kingdom. We need to put away the foreign gods, and we need to come back to the true God. And so Josiah, unlike Manasseh and unlike Ammon, says this is exactly what we need to do. Unfortunately, it was too little too late, but he had a heart for the Lord. If there was ever a good king in Judah, it was Josiah. We can think of other good kings like King David and King Solomon. He would follow in their line as far as worshiping the Lord and wanting to see the people worship God. Unfortunately, there was this religious state. There were people who went to temple. There were people who understood some of the things of God. And yet the word of God was hidden. People were not in their Bibles. People were not reading the law of God. It was, it was buried during this time. In fact, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, 2 Kings uh, chapter 22, 2 Kings chapter 22, you can look at verse 1. It talks here about Josiah. This is during the time that Zephaniah is preaching. Josiah was eight years old, so here's this little boy. He is set up as king at eight years old. And he began to reign at that point, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So he is reigning. Zephaniah is obviously alive at this time, and he is going to prophesy, prophesy during this time that Josiah is reigning. But the word of God is lost. The word of God has been buried. In fact, if you go down to verse 8 of 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8, it says, And Hilkiah the priest and said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So here, the book of the Lord, the book of the law had been lost. It had been buried. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphan, and he read it. So it's during this time that Zephaniah is prophesying. It's during this time that he is giving a word from the Lord. So he is preaching. He is prophesying during the time of Josiah, and it was during this time later on that reform would come, revival would come in some measure to Judah. Zephaniah stresses the day of the Lord more than any other prophet in the Old Testament. He talks about the day of the Lord. 
So we come to different verses and places in Zephaniah where he says, the day of the Lord. The question is, what does the day of the Lord mean? Well, the day of the Lord means that God is coming with visitations in history. And so there are times that we could say that the day of the Lord has already come. He visited Israel. The day of the Lord came. He visited Judah. The day of the Lord came during that time. He has come at different times. So we can say the day of the Lord is various occurrences that have happened in Israel. So it's not just one particular day. Whenever we're talking about the day of the Lord, we're not just saying it's this one particular day, but we're talking about different things. And one of those things that we're talking about is various visitations in history. So whenever you read the day of the Lord in the Bible and you're going, well, when is this day of the Lord? Well, it could be various times. Different occurrences, different situations when God visits his people and when God visits nations in history. There very well could be a day of the Lord for America. When God comes and he says, enough. Uh, we tend to think that we are just going to continue on and things are just going to go on like this forever, but oh my, how things have changed even in the last hundred years. I can remember as a, as a child on a regular basis when we'd be in nursing homes or, or speaking with elderly people, uh, it was not uncommon to speak with someone who was born in the 1800s. And most of those people who were born in the 1800s have now since died during our lifetime, if there's any alive at all. Perhaps there is one or two left in America. I'm sure there's at least a couple in the world. But to think about what people remember, to think about how somebody can remember going from the horse and buggy days of life to abortion on demand. How does that happen? How do we go from what we saw a hundred years ago to uh, space rockets and interstate highways and cell phones? Many of these things are good things. And yet there has been a gradual, and we should even argue, a rapid decline in morality. It is an amazing thing that we are here today as we sit among so many unbelievers, even in our own valley, thousands of people do not know Jesus Christ. Listen, we, we can't go on like this forever. And so there is this rule that is placed within Scripture, and there is this rule that is placed within national history, that a nation cannot just exist forever and continue to sin and continue to rebel against God and have no visitation from him. At some point, we are going to see judgment fall clearly, although we're already seeing judgment is already falling right now as we speak on America. And so in that sense, we could say that we are anticipating even a day of the Lord for this nation. So when we talk about the day of the Lord, we are talking about visitations in history, but we're also talking about a future event. 
So when Zephaniah talks about the day of the Lord, he could be talking about certain occurrences that happened within history. But we're also waiting for that day, that final day, when the Lord comes with both judgment and mercy. So the day of the Lord is occurrences in history, and it is also that final day, that day, the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes in both judgment and mercy. The day of the Lord is local and national, falls on different nations, but it is also global. So the Lord visits Assyria, the Lord visits Babylon, the Lord visits Rome, the Lord visits America, but he also visits the world. So it has a local element and it also has a global sweep. The day of the Lord is both national and it is also global. The day of the Lord brings judgment. People say, I can't wait for the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord is not all happiness. In fact, if someone is not right with God, the day of the Lord, when it comes, is a day of weeping. It is a day of misery. It is a day of sorrow. It is a day of judgment. And so we, we plead. We plead with people. Listen, you do not want to experience the judgment of God. You don't want to experience the judgment of God. The day of the Lord is not going to just be this big happy event for everyone. The day of the Lord is a day of darkness for many. As he comes at an unexpected hour bringing judgment and sorrow on those who do not believe. But it is also... It is also a day of blessing for those who do believe. And this is why we pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we wait for your day. Lord, we're ready. Lord, we're not, we're not sinless. We do not live in perfection. But, Lord, we, we stand underneath your perfection. We are clothed in your righteousness. And as a result of being clothed in your righteousness, we say even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we look forward to your day. Lord, we hasten that day. Will you come? And so Zephaniah is preaching and prophesying a dual message here in this text of both judgment and joy. In fact, he starts out, if you go to Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. He goes back uh, four generations here. The word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai. By the way, we don't, we don't know much about Zephaniah. There's not a lot of background that we can give about him. He's the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. And many have speculated, although we do not know this for sure, that this is King Hezekiah that he is speaking of. So it is quite possible that he is talking here, that he is speaking about the fact that he descends from royalty. He has royal blood in his veins. He's saying, I am a descendant of Hezekiah. In the days of Josiah, and this is why we say we know that he is preaching and he is prophesying during the days of Josiah. This is why we went back to 2 Kings chapter 22. It's during these days, the, the days of this upright king, that he is prophesying in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, 
king of Judah. And the first message he has is a message of judgment that is going to encompass the whole world. This is amazing. He is not just prophesying about this time, but he is even going past the year 2017, and he is prophesying about judgment that is going to come at the end of the world, at the end of this age. In other words, you and I are still waiting for the prophecy here of Zephaniah to still come to pass. They were waiting for it at 640 B.C. and 500, and during the time of Christ, they were still waiting for this prophecy to come to pass, and now we still wait for it. Notice what he says about the world. Verse 2 and 3, he says, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. What severe judgment is this? It reminds us of creation, and then it reminds us of the flood with Noah. And here Zephaniah comes along and he says, I'm not going to just judge this local place, although he gets to that. He says, I'm going to come eventually and I'm going to judge the entire world. In fact, it's going to be so thorough and it's going to be so devastating that God says through the prophet here, I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked and I will cut off mankind. We remember that God did this at one point with a flood of water. God came and he cut off all of mankind, save eight people. He flooded the world. And the entire world was destroyed. And God is saying here, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy the world again. I'm going to sweep away everything that is in it. Everything that is sinful is going to be swept away. But he promised. He gave us a promise. I will never again do that with water. I will never again flood the earth with water. Second Peter chapter 3 gives us some insight if you flip over there as to what Zephaniah is talking about here. Zephaniah chapter 1 is talking about something that is alluded to in Second Peter. If you flip over there in your Bibles to Second Peter, here this prophet is going way past his time. He is seeing with the eyes of the Spirit. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what Peter says. He says something very similar. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Here it is again, the day of the Lord. Zephaniah is talking about the day of the Lord, and here Peter is clearly talking again about this same theme, the day of the Lord. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So here Peter is talking about a day, not when the Lord obliterates the earth, but he transforms the earth. 
And this time he doesn't transform the earth through water, but he transforms the earth through fire. So God came in judgment with a flood of water. He is going to someday come. The day of the Lord is going to someday come with a judgment through fire. Notice verse 12, 2 Peter 3. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. So here Zephaniah, through the eye of faith, through the eye of the Spirit, is saying judgment is coming, and judgment is going to come on the whole globe. The whole globe is going to be judged. Every nation is going to fall at some point in the future underneath the judgment of God. And for those who know God, it's going to be a wonderful day of blessing. For those who do not know God, it is going to be a day of horror. But then he turns from this global sweep of judgment to national judgment. Notice with me in Zephaniah chapter 1. He turns to Judah. So he goes from this global sweep to a local national sweep. In verse 4, he says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. So he says, I'm not only going to judge the world, but I'm also going to judge Judah. Then verse 7 be silent before the Lord, for the day, here it is, the day of the Lord is near. So the day of the Lord is both far away, way off in the future, and the day of the Lord is also near for Judah. He's saying, Judah, you better prepare. Judgment is coming. You've got to get right with God. Time is running out. Listen to the reforms of Josiah, they're true, they're from the Lord. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. So why is this judgment falling? Judgment is going to fall on the globe, but judgment is also going to fall in short order on Judah. Notice what he says and why he's going to judge them in verse 12. He says, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. You see the Lord going throughout the streets of Jerusalem with a lamp. There he is in the darkness. The lantern is lit, this clay lantern with oil. And he is searching out Jerusalem. He is bringing judgment to Judea. And it says here, verse 12, and I will punish the men who are complacent. The word complacent here has to do with a cup of wine that is just sitting there. Let a cup of wine just sit. Nobody drinks it, just sits there and does nothing. After a while, it develops a crust on it. And Zephaniah is saying here, you're like that glass of wine. You're just sitting there. You're, you're not doing anything. You're complacent in your heart. You're just immovable. These complacent people who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. 
Listen. So the Lord comes. The Lord says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come with this, um, I'm going to come with the day of the Lord. They have the Lord future, they have the Lord near. And listen, Judah, I'm going to I'm going to judge you because of your complacency. There are people who are saying, listen, God is God is far off. He doesn't really do anything good, and he's not going to really come in judgment either. If anything, he's just like this higher power that is just kind of out there. Oh, does this sound familiar? People today talking about, oh yeah, I, I think I believe in God, although that rate, listen, that rate is plummeting. This is why the, the population of believers is so small. Listen, agnosticism, deism, the belief that God is just far away and is doing nothing. Atheism. It's getting such a stranglehold on our culture. And it's not because it's scientific. In fact, it's stupid and foolish. It's because we're under the judgment of God. This is exactly what Zephaniah is saying. Listen, when people begin to say, when people begin to say, oh, there's, there's really no God. God God's not going to do anything if he does exist. He, he doesn't really do anything good. You've, you've got to look out for yourself. You've, you've got to take care of number one because that's taking care of you. How many people, how many people are on their faces before the Lord saying, Lord, we need you? God, God does not, God does not want a complacent people. Listen, they had, they had, they had, according to the scriptures we just read, they had the book of the law, but it was hidden. It was put away. It was on a shelf. Oh, do you have a Bible? You have a Bible. It sits on that sits on that shelf over there. The Bible is on our iPads and it's on our computers and it's on our phones. Do we read it? So Zephaniah is coming along and he's he's saying, "Oh yeah, there's all sorts of evil things that are going on." He's saying, "But the the main problem, the crux of the problem is nobody cares. Nobody cares." There's no desire. There's no hunger. There's no brokenness. Listen, the desire of God is that this place here at, on this property is, is filled with people on their faces before the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine on a Sunday afternoon, the preaching gets over, the singing gets over, and there are people sprawled all out across this carpet on their faces saying, God, we need you. We need you. Come and help. This is, this is, this is what Zephaniah is saying. He's saying, but everybody's watching TV. Everybody gets out of church and they just go back to their life and they're just going back to the life of, of no difference, no holiness, no change, nothing, just complacent, just like that glass of wine. It just sits there and gets crusty. Is it possible? Is it possible that we have gotten crusty? Is it possible that our hearts aren't soft? 
Is it possible that maybe Zephaniah's words aren't just for that people then? We're not just reading a story. But perhaps Zephaniah is trying to wake us up today. He's not only prophesying for then, he's prophesying even for the very end of the age. And every person in between is included in his message. The sin of complacency. The sin of just not being moved. The sin of worldliness. So many people putting their trust in their stuff. Their stuff. In fact, he says in verse 13 here, it says, Their goods shall be plundered, and their houses laid waste. Though they build houses, think about this. Can you imagine saving up all sorts of money? Give us savings plan. I'm going to get this nice little house. We're going to fix up the house, or we're going to buy a second house, or a vacation place. He says, though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Can you imagine saving all of your money, investing all of your money for a house you're not even going to live in. You get the countertops you want, the cabinets you want, the paint's just right. You don't even move in. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they're out there tending their vineyards. The vines are growing. But before they get any grapes, judgment comes because it says here, though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink from them. The sin of complacency. So Zephaniah comes, he comes during this little reprieve in time. This little reprieve. This time when when judgment can be averted as people turn back to the Lord. You believe I wanted to get through the whole book of Zephaniah. Well, that's that's that. There's so much more here. It's good, too. This book is good. Can I just share this with you in closing? There is nothing more exciting in the Christian's heart than being in the presence of God. <laughs> I was I was thinking back uh, back when I was born and being in the environment of church and being born into this atmosphere of a revival in our nation, the Jesus movement, the excitement of being with Jesus and being with his people. The Apostle Apostle John was an old man when he died. I've often said my my aim in life is to be an old man who knows Jesus if he allows that. And tradition tells us, in fact, Jesus tells us, John 
John didn't die a martyr's death. All the rest of the apostles did. Tradition says that John was boiled in oil. We don't know if that's true, but wow, to survive that. And he had a disciple. This is historical. He had a disciple named Polycarp. So when we're talking about Jesus, we're not talking about a myth. We're talking about something you can go. If you do due diligence and just study and read, you can read about Jesus in the Bible, John in the Bible. It's all right there. It's all history. And then we have books that tell us about John's disciple, Polycarp. And Polycarp lived well into his 80s, and he was martyred for the faith. And as they were tying him down and burning him, they said, Polycarp, just deny the Lord. And he says, 80 and 6 years, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I deny him now? So you have Jesus, you have John, you have Polycarp. And before Polycarp died, he had a disciple. See, this is, this is the way we do it. This disciple disciples this disciple, and he gets passed on down. And it's because of the spirit. So Polycarp has a disciple, and his name, he's a church father, his name was Irenaeus. The reason I bring this up and I close with this is because Irenaeus says that he remembers as a young boy sitting at the feet of Polycarp. And he says, I can remember, he says, Polycarp's words, his voice, echoes in my ears. He says, I can remember his coming in, and I can remember his going out, and his discourse, and his talks about the Apostle John. Can you imagine? How cool is that? You're sitting at the feet of a man who says, oh yeah, I remember talking with the Apostle John. That's, that's awesome. And he remembered that atmosphere. And well into his older years, Irenaeus would remember back to that atmosphere of listening to Polycarp, who listened to John, who listened to Jesus. The reason we say this is this. There is nothing more exciting than being in the presence of Jesus Christ and with his people. It's exciting. I can't wait in a few weeks to go to Kingdom Bound. Can't wait. All these people singing and praising the Lord. It's exciting. I can't wait till Sunday morning. Oh, and the devil fights Sunday morning. Do you know he fights Sunday morning? He, he hates Sunday morning. He'll try to do everything to keep you out of church. He hates you being here. And he'll try to kill you. He'll try to kill your family. And he'll try to kill this church. Zephaniah comes along and he says, listen, he's not doing this out of a heart of vengeance or a heart of anger. He's saying complacency will kill you. The Lord wants you to have joy. The Lord wants you to have excitement. The Lord wants you to have everything that you were built to have. And it only comes, it only comes in knowing Jesus Christ. That's it. And the reason we have this excitement in our hearts is not because just a tradition was passed down. 
But the word of God is living and active, Hebrews tells us, and sharper than any two-edged sword. The reason this is so exciting is because Jesus Christ is currently present with us right now through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to draw us, listen, he wants to draw us out of complacency. And he wants to say, I have so much more for you. I have so much more. I have so much more. I would just encourage you as we close, if you'd stand with me, if we could have Crystal come, we could sing that Darlene Check song. I can't even remember the, the name of it. You know it. I know it. We all know it. I can't even remember it, but we're going to sing it. And um, I, would just, uh, I would just encourage us as we are singing this, can we just, can we just worship our king? Can we, can we ask the Lord, would you bow your heads with me real quick before we close? Father, would you take us out of complacency? God, I pray if there's even one here that's just going, I've been complacent. I've been oh so complacent. I've been complacent. I haven't been moved. I know the Lord, but I've just been, I've been struggling. I've just been not, I've been not motivated for the Lord recently. Let this song even begin to light that fire again as we prayed earlier, as we sang even with Keith Green's song. Light the fire again, we pray. Light the fire in this church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.